Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mike Springston FFC Podcast and our Family Fellowship Chapel uh, Facebook post. We are going to go to part two of the uh, teaching on legalism versus grace and truth. I think it's very important that we um, uh, dive into this so that we can uh, address not only the questions that have been answered, but the potential that that uh, can come as other people deal with um, these questions. I know that there are a lot of videos out there, and some uh, Christian pastors that have uh, determined that they're going to function um, differently and and uh, uh, operate their church differently and operate the things in their church differently and so forth and so on. So we're talking about legalism versus grace and truth. And I want to remind you that if you're going to do one piece of legalism, you must do it all. You must do it all. And so we want to welcome everybody from wherever you're listening, both on podcast and on Facebook, and um, we want to have a word of prayer, and then we want to get started. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see in our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us, and then, Father, may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear Son. Then, Lord, we want Jesus to speak to us so that we'll know what to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. And as we do, we'll receive it and release it to your people, and we'll be changed. We will be transformed. We'll be corrected. We'll be brought into a deeper relationship with the image of our dear Son, your dear Son. Father, forgive us our sins as we minister today in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. So as we mentioned at the end of our last uh, teaching, Jesus plundered the goods of the devil, defeated death, hell, and the grave, and destroyed all of the works of the devil, sanctified us and calls us brethren, and because uh, of the means by which he did this, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. So by the authority that has been given to me and you as a believer under his lordship, I am never in bondage to anything that the name that the enemy attempts to exalt uh, over me or even over my place of worship or anyone that comes in under a demonic influence into our worship services. Mark 16 tells me something that I must know and that I must understand and that I must be able to practice. Hi, Holly. I hope you all are doing great. It's so nice to see you. It is the use of the name of Jesus that accomplishes our freedom from any tongue or any name. Mark 16, 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast down devils, speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So that after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following a man. And here we identify the believer 
of the authority of the believer. We identify the power over the demonic to cast them down. So under any and all circumstances, the works of the enemy are destroyed. When the name of Jesus is applied correctly, that includes any and all of the remnants of anything that Satan attempts to put upon the church. We, my friend, are sanctified by the sanctifier, and he unashamedly now calls us brethren. For wherever and whatever location we lift the name of Jesus and identify his lordship, demons and the demonic are struck down, controlled, and have to bow their knee to that name. Now, if the church is not schooled in this information, then they are subject to the activity of the demonic. As you are driving in a car down the street, going to work or going shopping, uh, pastors that are not schooled in this and are not teaching you this are kind of leaving you in a, in a condition where the demonic is not controlled nor recognized. Now, that is because they're leaving you without the opportunity to use the authority that's been provided because no one has taught them the truth concerning the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the phase of salvation that His Lordship releases into your life. That, of course, my friends, is the, the form of salvation that is soundness. We remember that there is healing, preservation, deliverance, there is safety, and then in the Lordship of Jesus Christ is soundness, and then as we see him in the man in the Godhead, there is wholeness. So we are under the covenant of his Lordship, and as he mediates that covenant to us, we are made to be very sound because he is the greater one, is sheltering us under the shadow of his wings. Now, with respect to Christmas and the celebration thereof, it's been stated, stated by others who question my application of Haggai uh, chapter 2 um, that refers to the prophecy of Jesus that there is no record in the New Testament of such celebration. Well, uh, this has been stated also about Easter. 1 Peter, one nine, one, uh, 1 Peter 2 and 9, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous grace, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So as a priest and as a peculiar person operating in a holy nation, we desire to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. We choose as a holy nation and as a royal priesthood to make a solemn celebration 
of the dates that coincide with the birth of Jesus Christ and with his death and resurrection as the calendars provide. We reflect light in so doing. What Haggai sets in the day before uh, concerning the seed being in the barn in Haggai 2, this means that the vine was prepared to produce its seed. He would come from the fig tree which expresses his relationship to Israel. The vine expressed his relationship to the Godhead. The pomegranate which references his relationship to his priesthood as well as him exposing the benefits of grace. Then there is the olive tree which represents his anointing as the victorious Christ who becomes the exalted Lord. Now this to me, my friend, becomes unmistakable as it identifies the complete journey of Jesus Christ as he relates to mankind in general and the believer specifically. There is no question that the angels celebrated his birth and they celebrate his life to this day. I can celebrate his birth today and every day as he lives in me. Men have set aside days and times for one thing and another. I want to ask those of you who question this, when they came up with a day off work and they told you that you were celebrating Columbus Day, President's Day, Veterans Day, whatever the day was, did you take a day off work there? Because by legalism you should not have because that would have been a celebration of a, of a festival or a day. But you see, my friend, we don't live under that legalism. We live under Christ in you, the hope of glory. We live in a world where we are operating by grace and truth. What a great thing to know. So as far as Christmas and Easter goes, grace and truth must be a measurement tool. Now why is this? The narrative from your perspective tells you that there is no option, only hard and fast rules that you must adhere to. Feast days set aside by Jehovah. Uh, but the narrative of the New Testament tells us that grace and truth must be applied. Along with that, the application of light must be applied by those who have come into his royal priesthood uh, with necessity to show forth his praises. So when I am celebrating Easter, or I am celebrating Christmas, I am doing so from my heart. Now, someone would say on one of these videos, doesn't matter what your heart says, doesn't matter what your heart does, doesn't matter what you think about it, doesn't matter what you believe about it, only matters what the Word of God says. Well, there is a lot of truth in that, except when the New Testament came around, a new, te a new covenant was given, and grace and truth and faith through the blood, because of the blood, became the means whereby God was dividing the, the divine side of himself to us. When the word of truth is mentioned, the word of truth does not mean the word of God. It means the word of the divine side. That's what the word of truth means. When you see it referred to in Ephesians and Colossians and to Timothy, it means that we are divining, dividing the divine side of God through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this, my friend, 
as a member of the royal priesthood and a holy nation, glory to God, I celebrate Jesus every year, every day, every hour, and every moment. Now, uh, on the days that have been set aside, uh, you know, those that mark it as Xmas, well, they're not celebrating the birth of Jesus. They're celebrating something from their own humanistic side. Those that would want to say that it is Christmas, well, they are celebrating the Roman Catholic side of it. I'm celebrating the Christ and that Christ who lives in me. You see, we can put this into any vernacular we want to. And we can, we can make it so that Christ either is disavowed or that Christ becomes human. Well, in my heart and in my life, I know better. I know that Jesus Christ is not disavowed. He did come. He did come as the Messiah. He did come as the legal sacrifice. He did come and die. When he died, blood was shed. That blood released the ability to apply grace through faith. And it, that faith had to be applied or, or uh, um, made uh, grace accessible by our obedience. So when we look at this, we have to understand the heart does matter. How you believe it, how you receive it does matter. It always has. The heart of man, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the heart does matter. We can't get around that. Can't get over it. Can't get under it. We have to recognize the application of grace to our heart. Not the application of rituals. Not the application of rules. But the application of grace. And when that application of grace comes to us, the glory of Jesus Christ that was preceded by peace and joy and the spirit of truth and the very glory that is in Jesus Christ dwells in us and comes out of us as a river of living water. I said this at church last week and I'll say it again. We have too many people, too many people that are operating under a false gospel that are operating out of a bucket a well, wherein they dip in a bucket and they find something to hang their hat on and they drink it and say, oh, that's good. I am spiritually charged by what I pulled out of the well. Well, my friend, grace and truth doesn't operate as a dip in a bucket. It doesn't come, it operates as a river of living water. Grace and truth are rivers of living water that flow through you and me. And they're applied to our every need. That's why Paul said, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. So now, the argument is that we look at the world, what the world has done, and the merchandising of Christmas and the elimination of the Christ in Christmas. Now my responsibility to the world is to continue to do and to teach the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Now that brings us to a major point because if you are operating outside of the, the Acts 2 experience, then you're not doing what it is Jesus began to do and to teach. That's for another day. A narrative of the New Testament tells us that grace and truth 
is meant by Jesus Christ to be applied to our lives. Along with that, the application of light, light must be applied by those who have come into his royal priesthood with necessity to show forth his praises. My heart does matter. That's a key, key point. Uh, now, some would say that it doesn't matter what I believe or how I choose, choose to engage from the heart the days of which I celebrate Jesus. I meet that with this very simple response. If I were trying to marry myself to law and to be a legalist, then I would know that my ritualism is, in, is where my safety came for Israel. That's where it came because the veil was shut off to you. But in Jesus Christ, the heart became to be everything because the veil was torn and rent from top to bottom. Now, as we know, God has spoken to Israel on those issues of legalism, but I'm married to the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, I'm no longer entangled with the yoke of bondage that is the encumbrance of the law. Hebrews 10 19 through 25, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for me through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a, an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, now watch this, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Where does that come from? Comes out of the changed heart. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The blood, my friend, is the thing that legalism does not have. It only has the blood of a bull and a goat. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. It activates grace. Grace then is applied to our heart and we are changed through obedience and by faith. I'll talk more about these in the morning. And that faith is the gift of God to us of which our Redeemer is both the author and the finisher of faith. Now, Brady, I want to say one more thing. When we look at the blood, the blood came from Jesus. When we look at grace and truth, it came from Jesus. When we look at faith, it came from Jesus. When we look at the measuring tool, of our obedience, it came from Jesus. So everything that happens to us in the spiritual walk from the ministry of Jesus Christ, Him being crucified, has brought us into the applications of exactly the things that Jesus did for us. He shed blood, became the legal sacrifice, the once and for only, never again needing to be done. That blood released grace and truth. That grace being applied to our lives served by us being obedient to blood and grace. 
to be operated by faith to meet every need that comes against our life. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what the devil has tried to set out as a snare or a trap for you. Doesn't matter what common things come your way. God has made a way of escape. How'd he do it? The blood, grace, obedience to faith, and faith. That's how God did it. And he did it all in Jesus Christ. Everything you'll ever need is in Jesus Christ. But yet you're serving a ritual from Jehovah who has sent the remedy and the redeemer and the atoner. Huh. The difference between legalism and grace and truth. Now following along as we describe how tooth, truth is also engaged in this plan of the activation of grace and its acceptable application into the heart of the believer. This is where the thought processes and the intentions of the heart of man come under the divine truth. In other words, it's highly possible that you can make a, a day such as Christmas, as I've already defined, Xmas or Christmas, and you can make that day something that it is not. You can make it into a day of gifts and presents. Or you can make it into a day of worship. Here is the dividing line. It comes under the word truth. Truth, divine truth, or divine justice comes from the man who is in the Godhead bodily. If our heart wrongly divides the word of truth and wrongly appropriates the reasons for what we do, why we do, our celebrating, our assembling, then our heart condemns us. See, we have more of an issue to look at than just, say, Christmas and Easter or pagan holidays. If we're not assembling under the right spirit, if we're assembling for a social message or for a motivational message or for a psychological message, then even any day that we worship, truth says, the divine side of God says, no, that's not acceptable in my sight. So when we see people going to church, as I had one person tell me a few years ago, I have to go to a church that has a better social life for me. Huh. It is the social life of which you're going to be judged. I don't think so. I have to go to a church that preaches more on current day messaging. So it is current day messaging the motivation of positive thinking that is going to be what you're going to be judged upon. No, my friend, truth is going to be the divine side of justice is what you're going to be judged upon. So you can assemble yourself into anything for a wrong reason. Some people come and try to assemble themselves with you because they know that you have a spirit of helping. So they will come in order to get to take from you. Yeah, that spirit is out there. Some spirit will, people will come because they are seeking something out of your church. Husbands, wives, position. Yeah, all of that being weighed against what grace has done in truth says, no, no, grace has not worked in your life. Grace has not been applied appropriately. And in all fairness to grace, this is what truth says, in all fairness to grace, it ain't working for you. 
That's what, that's what truth says about the application of grace. In our heart, then, we have done what the Word of God calls despite to the Spirit of grace. The heart of man must have its motives executed in both soberness and righteousness. When the heart of man does this, he has complete freedom. In the new covenant, the heart of the believer is the thing that Jesus Christ is searching. Romans 8, 28, 27, 28, 29. The heart of man must have its motives in righteousness. By the way, the scripture declares concerning Israel that Israel would have to have a changed heart. The questioner then sent me a scripture that I want to deal with from Matthew chapter 5 to which I gave the following response. Concerning the scripture in Matthew 5, uh, those words along uh, about, uh, I believe it started with verse 17. And uh, um, uh, I want to read that to you if I can because it's pertinent to this, to this message. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, uh, not uh, one, one jot or one tittle shall in no way Pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments. Now that's a critical uh, position right there. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach them so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice in verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. All right. Now, this teaching is to the Jews. Number one, the Gentiles have never operated under law. We've operated under grace and truth. Number two, the fulfillment of the law meant there would be a sacrifice who would shed the required blood for atonement. Number three, the Gentile has no prophet, as stated in verse 17. Number four, so the fulfillment of what had been presented as law and what had been present concerning him in such writings as the book of Isaiah was going to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Number five, the Jews would in fact produce the light, the man, the person, Jesus Christ, that would be the light of the world, and he it was who was speaking to them. And then Psalms 27, Isaiah 60, Psalms 119, all refer to Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Number seven, certainly the word given by the law and the prophets concerning him would not pass away until he fulfilled what had been said about him. Eight. Now, speaking to the Jews in verse 19, Jesus says, 
The Jews keep the law and the commandments because to that point, this is what had been given you. Since that is the case, you must live in view of what to this point has been revealed. Number nine, do the commandments, all of them. All of them. If you're going to be legal, you have to do them all. Do not divide them. Do not analyze them. Do not add to them. Just do them all. To whom is he speaking when he makes these statements? The Jews. Concerning what is he speaking? The law. From what source had the law come into the hearing of the Jews? By the prophets. Where were the Gentile scribes and the Gentile Pharisees? Nope, none of those. So could Gentile righteousness have been found in anything concerning the law, the prophets, or the scribes of the Pharisees? No. Our righteousness is in and by Jesus Christ. So if we rightly divide the word of truth, we can see clearly to whom he is speaking in Matthew chapter 5. It is not to the Gentile. I again refer you to Galatians chapter 5. We in Christ have no reason to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage that is legalism. Lastly, there is no means to marry the legalism of the old covenant with grace and truth. Not possible. This scripture must open our eyes to that fact. If you locate your righteousness in the law, then you have to live by the law and you have to live by all of it. Therefore, there can be absolutely no means to say we're born in the blood of Jesus Christ if we're trying to live in legalism. And no means for us to render our lives back uh, if we are living in grace to the bondage of the law. Grace and truth will not allow us to do that. We are in him and he has made us by the force of the cross and the subsequent events that followed the cross to be the righteousness of God in him. Now, I appreciate the question, but we must rightly divide the divine side of truth. Now, Having completed this instruction um, as it came to me uh, with one question, another came up, and I want to see what my time frame is. Another came up of, of which um, I do not have time in this 30-minute teaching uh, to, to complete. So I'm going to stop right here. And I've answered all of one questioner's uh, concerns. Um, now then, I'm going to go into the next questioner's concerns on the next podcast. Father, we give you praise and glory and honor for all of your word. May your word be true and every man a liar. We give you praise and glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. I appreciate those of you who are watching. I see Holly and Christine. Um, it is vital that we understand it is impossible to marry legalism and grace and truth. Impossible. Impossible. And if you're going to do one of them and teach those to do so, 
then you must do them all, every one of them, stem to stern, top to bottom. But in grace there is freedom, and we must live in freedom and truth. May God richly bless you until our next uh, uh, podcast and our next Facebook post as we describe the great gulf between legalism and grace and truth. May God bless you, my Facebook friends. May God bless you, my podcast friends. I pray that the Word of God is as rich and real to you as it has been to us. Find Him as Lord. There you'll find every knee will bow and every demon that has a name or a tongue will be forced to come and bow his knee to Jesus Christ. And then if you'll find Him as the man in the Godhead, He'll show you great and mighty things to come. May God richly bless you is my prayer until we speak again.